0: Prejudice by Jane Austen. Volume 1, Chapter 5. Previously on Pride and Prejudice. We have met Mr. and Mrs. Bennet, and then the entire Bennett family. We have learned that Mr. Bennett is a very sharp-witted man who likes to make fun of his wife and his daughters, and seems to only really like his second eldest daughter, Elizabeth. And that Mrs. Bennet is a silly, flighty woman who has married up, and seems to mostly like her eldest daughter, Jane, and her youngest daughter, Lydia. Well, really, she really loves her daughter, Lydia, but Jane she likes because she's expecting big things from Jane. Um, then we went, the Bennett family is all... In a t- The whole neighborhood is all a flutter about the fact that Mr. Bingley has moved to town and he is he is renting an estate in the country near them he ha- and he's rich. He has four or five thousand a year. It's very exciting. Um, he comes to the Meritan Assembly and he dances every dance and everyone loves him. He brings his two sisters who are snobs, one, one of his sister's husbands who is a bore, and his good friend, Mr. Darcy who dances only with the Bingley sisters, doesn't really want to talk to anyone at the ball, um, and is very specifically rude to Lizzie by calling her tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me. Very big, important line. Um, Setting the stage for a lot of miscommunication to come in the future. Then we had a chapter where we got to hear last time about Lizzie and Jane chatting about things, really getting to see that Jane is, has had a really good impression of Mr. Bingley, is well on her way to being in love with Mr. Bingley, and that Lizzie hates Mr. Darcy. And that leads us to chapter five, where we're going to get to meet the Lucases, which is very exciting. I love the Lucases. All right, chapter five begins and is really all about meeting the Lucases. So it's a very, or it's a pretty short chapter. In my volume, it's um, three pages of text, not even a full three pages, because the last page is maybe a little over half a page. So it's like two and a half pages worth of text. Very short, but it's a nice intro into another important family in the area, the Lucases and I just want to read the whole first paragraph, because I love it. Chapter 5 Within a short walk of Longbourn lived a family with whom the Bennets were particularly intimate. Sir William Lucas had been formerly in trade in Meryton, where he had made a tolerable fortune and risen to the honour of knighthood by an address to the king, during his mayoralty. The distinction had perhaps been felt too strongly. It had given him a disgust to his business and to his residence in a small market town and quitting them both, he had removed with his family to a house about a mile from Meryton, denominated from that period Lucas Lodge, where he could think of with pleasure of his own importance, and unshackled by business, occupy himself solely in being civil to all the world. For though elated by his rank, it did not render him supercilious. On the contrary, he was all attention to everybody. By nature inoffensive, an friendly, and obliging, his presentation at St. James's had made him courteous. Lady Lucas was a very good kind of woman, not too clever to be a valuable neighbor to Mrs. Bennet. They had several children, the eldest of them, a sensible, intelligent young woman, about 27, was Elizabeth's intimate friend. Okay, so that was actually the first two paragraphs, but I think that is all really good information, and I would like to now go off on my wild, harebrained theory that this information gives me. So what I'm taking from this paragraph, from this information, is that... The Lucases, Mr. Lady and um, Sir William and Lady Lucas, as they are now called, were, you know, previously just Mr. and Mrs. Lucas. And they lived in Meryton and Mr. Lucas was in some sort of trade in Meryton. He made a good amount of money, but he was very specifically in the trade class. I I don't know what that's called, but he was he worked for a living. He was not part of the gentility, which the Bennets are. We also know that Mrs. Bennett has married up. Her father was a solicitor at Mer- in Meryton. Um, and I'm not sure if we've learned this in the book yet or not, but her sister, who is now Mrs. Phillips, ended up marrying um, marrying the man who took over for their father in that solicitor's business. So, um, and so it's still in trade in Meryton. So, so Mrs. Bennett was raised in that lower trade class, kind of, where her father worked for a living, that sort of thing um and mr lucas was in that class when he was there but he became mayor of merriton he you know went and gave a speech to the king and the king was so liked it so much that he could, he knighted him so a knight is the lowest level of a title that you can get the next up would be a baronetcy so baronets would also be sir and lady um, the big difference being that a baronet can pass down that title, so you know um in persuasion, that's the only novel I think where they have any where the main characters have titles um Sir Walter, sure er, yes, yeah, Sir Walter Elliot has a title, and if he had had a son, he would be able to pass it down to his son, and instead it will go to the cousin, Mr. Elliot, will become Sir. It's a title that is passed down along the male line. Versus um, Sir William here. Um, he. He has a title because he was knighted, but he does not get to give it on. His son will not be a sir. Um, so it's a lower level because it doesn't have that inheritancy to it. In any case, the fact that he has a title definitely brings him up socially. And so this is where my theory is, is that. All intents of purposes, all intents and purposes, as far as we know, Mr. Bennett grew up at Longbourn and Mr. Lucas, Lady Luke, er, yeah, Sir, uh, Sir William Lucas, Lady Lucas and Mrs. Bennett all grew up in Meryton nearby. So they all, I think, are of similar ages, all grew up relatively together. And when they were children, Mrs. Bennett, who would have then been a Miss Gardner, um, lady lucas i don't know what her ma- her maiden name was but she would have been you know part of the trade class too i assume for her to have married a man in trade so and he would have been mr lucas at the time um so mrs bennett lady lucas and sir Wel- sir william lucas would all have been part of the trade class in Meryton, either working for or their fathers were working for a living that is lower class versus mr bennett probably i from as far as we know grew up at Longbourn as a gentleman's son never having to work for a living right well I mean work quote-unquote in that he owns a he owns an estate and probably works on crop rotations and farming and such but he doesn't actually do the farming himself and you know has tenant farms that he rents out land and gets money from but he doesn't work in trade he owns land and that's how he has his money So of those four, Mr. Bennett is the highest class person. So then I see them going along and Mrs. Bennett and Mrs. Lucas probably know each other by their previous names as children. They know each other as they get married. And in that marriage, Mrs. Bennett won. Mrs. Bennett won big because Mr. Bennett is much higher status than Mr. Lucas at the time because um, Mr. Lucas is still working in trade. We don't know what kind of trade, but he owns some sort of business. He's uh, he's working for a living, making money in Meryton, versus Mr. Bennett, who is a land-owning, part of the land-owning gentry clash, class, and as far as we know, wealthier than the Lucases, um, but definitely higher socially, right? So Mrs. Bennett won that competition, and she won it handily. She married into the gentility class Whereas Mrs. Lucas married and married within the same class. So Mrs. Bennett married up. Mrs. Lucas did not. All right. And they definitely seem to have been having a competition for quite some time. Mrs. Bennett won. And I think also, if we could take a chance to look at this, there don't seem to be that many families that we, there are, we'll learn later, four and 20 families that the Bennetts all, that the Bennetts dine with on a regular basis. The only, we don't really meet many of them. But as far as we can tell, the Bennets seem to be among the highest rung of families in the area. We don't know of any nobility in the area. We don't know of like anybody who is of a much higher social class than the Bennets themselves. It seems like the neighborhood at large is probably of this kind of lower end of the, um, I mean, they're still all wealthy. So that we're talking the bottom the bottom of the 1%, right? They're still all very wealthy people when we're talking about this gentility class. But they all seem to be around the same level of the Bennets. And as far as like Longbourn and Meryton area, it seems like the Bennets are kind of the cream of the crop. They're right up there. They're they're in the gentility class. They are sort of the top of the social ladder in this quiet little area. And then Mr. Lucas is knighted. He becomes Sir William Lucas. His wife becomes Lady Lucas. They now have titles. And now that he has a title, he buys himself some property. He goes out and lives at Lucas Lodge. He is now a gentleman. He is trying to, like, buy himself into the gentility class um, of landed gentry. He is no longer part of the working class. He is trying to, like, socially climb and move up because he has this title that was given to him for, like, no reason at all right? It's not like he went out and slayed a dragon for the king. He didn't do any, like, when you're getting a knighthood, it's supposed to be for at least my understanding. I am not a British citizen, so somebody let me know if I'm wrong. But my understanding of what a knighthood is supposed to be is somebody who either, like, gave great service to the to the royalty or did something really great for the kingdom as a whole. Um, the only people I know of that have been, like, knighted are, like, famous celebrities and such um, like I'm thinking like Dame Judy Dench. I think that's technically like the level of a knighthood just on the female side but she got it for being such a wonderful actor and I I don't know bringing great honor to England I I i don't know but um, the point being the fact that um, Mr. Lucas as he was then gave a speech that the to the king and the king liked it so much that he united him seems a little silly and I think it's supposed to seem a little silly in my opinion Jane Austen is poking fun a little bit at like these knighthoods and I have a um I think there was a note in my book an annotation about how like so many knighthoods were being given out at that time period that it was sort of a something that people thought was weird or silly at the time I think Jane Austen is sort of poking fun at how, you know, self-important Sir William Lucas is for this knighthood that he got for no reason at all, and how that has given him this entree into this other realm of society that he really has no business in, is kind of my interpretation of this. She's kind of making fun of the way this social climbing is happening. And I think you can read it in a couple different ways, right? Because you can read it in her as as her making fun of somebody wanting to social climb, you know, which I think might have been a sort of normal attitude of the time period that people are supposed to, you know, you're supposed to stay in the class which, which in which you are born, which is something that comes up at the end of this novel, right? Lady Catherine says that, that you should not wish to quit the sphere in which you have been brought up. Um, and I think that is a relatively, a relatively normal, like idea of the time that people kind of just knew and accepted that you're supposed to, I think it was a a concept with even within like the religion and the concept of society that you were born into the class you're supposed to be born into, right? Like if you're born poor, that's because God wanted you to be poor. And if you're born rich, it's because God wanted you to be rich. And that's even where it gets tied into royalty that you're born into royalty because God wants you to be royal. Right? So they took all of this like chance of birth to be ordained by God. And, So I do think that there is a way you could read it as sort of classist on Jane on the part of Jane Austen, where she's sort of poking fun at these people who are trying to rise up in society. But I also think you can read it as sort of as a more maybe liberal minded way of thinking that she is just kind of poking fun at the whole concept of the way that these social structures are and who gets to be where and all of that not making a lot of sense all the time. But in any case, I think that this backstory that I have given them, where we're saying that at one time, Mrs. Bennett won. She married the highest class man in the area. She is now the highest class woman. Um, and she knows probably Mrs. Lucas. They're still friendly, but she is definitely higher than Mrs. Lucas. She gets to look down on Mrs. Lucas. Because she is now married into the landed gentry. And Mrs. Lucas is still in the trade class. But then Mr. Lucas becomes Sir Lucas. And she becomes Lady Lucas. And they buy a house and they become part of the landed gentry. And now it's kind of a question. Who is higher socially? I think, again, I don't have an exact understanding of the social norms. I do not claim to be an expert on anything at all. But my understanding would be that Sir, anybody with a title, gets to be the top of, you know, there are, and there are levels and titles. And I think the knight title, the Sir title is the lowest title, right? But he still is higher than somebody who doesn't have a title who just gets to go by Mr. Right? So now Sir and Lady Lucas are higher class than Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. They take precedence. And I think that that killed Mrs. Bennet. I think she is still pissed about that. That she used to be the top, the highest class woman in the town. And now suddenly she's in competition. She has Lady Lucas, who is now theoretically above her socially. And the fight was on and the fight has been on ever since. Because Mrs. Bennet does not like that she has been outdone by lady lucas and i think we will see throughout the novel that mrs bennett always has lots of things to say about the Lucases, and i think it all comes back to that initial slight where she is still mad that lady lucas now outranks her and uh yeah anyway that's my pet theory on the relationship between lady lucas and mrs bennett let me know what you think. Do you think that's feasible? Do you think that makes sense? That Lady that um, Mrs. Bennett is still mad that Mrs. Lucas became Lady Lucas and now outranks her? Because that's that's where I'm at. That's what I think is going on here. And so I have now been talking for like 15 minutes about the first two chapters. Or the first two paragraphs of this chapter. But that's where we've gotten so far. <laughs> All right. So now we know about the Lucases. That they... um have this title which makes them theoretically higher class Though i think we still understand them to be probably poorer than the bennett's and it sounds like they bought a house but they might not have bought a huge amount of land i'm not i'm not clear about that so like where they are socially that way um but they're the next family that is of similar status to the bennett's and so the it says that the miss lucas's and the miss bennett's should meet to talk over a ball was absolutely necessary. And so they go, the Bennets all, all the female Bennets anyway, Mrs. Bennett and her daughters all go to see the Lucases and talk about the ball. And so Mrs. Bennet starts talking to Charlotte saying that, you know, saying, Oh, you started the ball. Well, you were Mr. Bingley's first choice. And she obviously was fishing for a compliment there. I think. "'And she gets it, because Charlotte replies, "'Oh, yes, but he seemed to like his second better. "'And Mrs. Bennet pretends to be confused, and is like, "'Oh, you mean Jane, I suppose, because he danced with her twice, "'to be sure that did seem as if he admired her. "'Indeed, I rather believe he did. "'I heard something about it. I, "'But I hardly know what. "'Something about Mr. Robinson.' "'Perhaps you mean what I overheard between him and Mr. Robinson. "'Did I not mention it to you, Mr. Robinson asking him "'how he liked our Meritan assemblies?' and whether he did not think there were a great many pretty women in the room, and which he thought the prettiest, and his answering immediately to the last question. Oh, the eldest Miss Bennet, beyond a doubt, there cannot be two opinions on that point. And that was replied by Charlotte. So she is definitely fishing for compliments, and Charlotte is very willing to play upon that and give her all that information. Then they go over the tolerable comment again. Charlotte teases Lizzie, saying, My overhearings were more to the purpose than yours, Eliza. Mr. Darcy is not so well worth listening to as his friend, is he? Poor Eliza, to be only just tolerable. And here Mrs. Bennet jumps in to, you know, to, I don't know, defend Lizzie, kind of? She says, I beg you would not put it into Lizzie's head to be vexed by his ill-treatment, for he is such a disagreeable man that it would be quite the misfortune to be liked by him. Mrs. Long told me last night that he sat close to her for half an hour without once opening his lips. So, and I don't think she necessarily needs to defend Lizzie per se, because later on she will say lots of bad things about Lizzie, and I think that that is, I don't know, how she, I don't think she really needs to defend Lizzie. I think this is still part of her competition with the Lucases, where... She can't have anything bad said about her daughters while she's talking to the Lucases. And that'll come up in the future when Mrs. Bennett likes to talk about how plain Charlotte Lucas is. I think that's part of that competition that I've already talked about. And Jane tries to defend Mr. Darcy by saying he thought she thought he, she saw him talking to her, to um, Mrs. Long. Oh, I think I'm skipping a paragraph. <laughs> Don't mind me. Anyway, so she says, so Mrs. Bennett's saying that he's a very disagreeable man and he didn't, wouldn't refuse to talk to Mrs. Long. And Jane tries to defend him. And uh, Mrs. Bennet says, well, yes, that's just because she finally had to ask him how he liked Netherfield because they've been sitting so long together. But she said he seemed very angry at being spoke to. And Jane tries again to defend him saying that Miss Bingley told me that he never speaks much unless among his intimate acquaintance. With them he is remarkably agreeable. And Mrs. Bennet replies with, I do not believe a word of it, my dear. If he had been so very agreeable, he would have talked to Mrs. Long. And then goes on about how he's so prideful, and it's probably because Mrs. Long doesn't keep a carriage, and that's why he refused to talk to her which seems silly there's no way mr darcy would have known about this random woman mrs long that she doesn't have a carriage and so she came to the ball in a hack chase like well what we know of darcy later i don't i mean he might have he is prideful he might have looked down on her for that but i also don't think that he knew that about this woman i think that he just doesn't want to talk to anybody and he was in a bad mood and he's not and he's Um, as he explains it himself later in the book, introverted and is not not well qualified to recommend himself to strangers, as he puts it. He's not good at talking to strangers. It's something he, he even admits about himself later. But that is not acceptable here. They want everybody to be extroverted and good at talking to everyone. And if you're not, then you're unsociable and not a good person. That's what we're getting out of this. Um, and then Charlotte comes back in with, I do not mind him not talking to Mrs. Long, but I wish he had danced with Eliza. And here is a very important line. Well, not important, but foreshadowy line. Another time, Lizzie said her mother, I would not dance with him if I were you. I believe, ma'am, I may safely promise you never to dance with him. Um, Which I just, the foreshadowing of that is, of course, Lizzie says, I, pro- I, I, I. Ugh. I may safely promise you never to dance with him. Of course she's going to end up dancing with him, because she just said that. Like, it's just a big foreshadowing. You can't say something like that in a novel and not end up dancing with Mr. Darcy. And then we get something from Miss Lucas, from Charlotte, that I think is pretty interesting. She says, his pride does not offend me so much as pride often does, because there is an excuse for it. One cannot wonder that so very fine a young man with family, fortune, everything in his favor should think highly of himself. If I may say so, if I may so express it, he has a right to be proud. And I think that tells us something, something pretty important about Charlotte, right? This is our first time meeting Charlotte in this chapter. And so far, we've just found out that she's really good friends with Elizabeth. We found out her age right away, which is not something that um, Jane Austen usually does, But I think we're given her age immediately as another hint, like, to let us know that, you know, she's 27, she's getting old, and she's still not married, and, you know, so she's old maid status, almost. She's already almost on the shelf. So I think that's why her age is mentioned, so to kind of point that out to us. But I do think that this paragraph also is another sort of foreshadowing moment for Charlotte, where she shows herself to have a lot more patience with this idea of pride than any of the Bennets have, than Mrs. Bennet or Elizabeth have, um, where she's saying that his pride really doesn't offend me because he has a right to be proud, right? He has something worth being proud of. He's allowed to be. And... um I think that is something just to note and keep track of because Miss Lucas will be consistent with that idea where she is much more able to put up with proud characters than Elizabeth is able to do and elizabeth comes back with just kind of a joke saying that is very true and i could and i could easily forgive his pride if he had not mortified mine and i think she's playing it off as a joke she's trying to make yeah make fun of the situation and laugh at it But I do think that there's some truth in that, that she is, that he had mortified mine. She is mortified that he doesn't find her pretty. You know, she is known as one of the local beauties of the area. She's used to Jane being seen as prettier than her. But she's not used to being called merely tolerable. And I do think that there is some truth to that statement, that she is mortified that this man found her so unattractive. I think she is very unhappy with that in a way that she is not... She's trying not to show. She's trying to make it funny. She's gone off and, you know, during the ball, she went off and laughed about it. When she was talking to Jane in the last chapter, she's trying to make it funny. Again, here, she's trying to make it funny. She's trying to push it off and say that it doesn't bother her. And I don't believe her. I think it does bother her. I think she is very upset about this. And I think we shall see that as with her prejudice as we go forward against mr darcy it starts here it starts with this comment that he made about her not being tolerable or not tolerable enough to tempt him or what not handsome enough to tempt him tolerable but not handsome enough to tempt him this tolerable word um is going to come back to haunt him it's what starts her dislike it's why she i think is so ready to find you know find him disagreeable It just starts it starts all of her prejudice against him and her being able and willing, waiting and willing and waiting to believe anything bad about him that comes on comes along in the future. So I think that is also a very important line. And then our next paragraph comes we get to learn about Mary, who we really haven't heard much of yet. We had a little bit, I think, of her father making fun of her, but we haven't heard much from her. And here we get a whole paragraph. So she says. "'Pride,' observed Mary, who piqued herself upon the solidarity of her reflections, "'is a very common failing, I believe. By all that I have ever read, I am convinced that it is very common, indeed, that human nature is particularly prone to it, and that there are very few of us who do not cherish a feeling of self-complacency on on the score of some quality or other, real or imaginary. Vanity and pride are different things, though the words are often used synonymously. A person may be proud without being vain. Pride relates more to our opinion of ourselves.' vanity to what we would have others think of us and I think that that's actually a pretty interesting thing for Mary to say so I think it's very easy to kind of pass this paragraph on because it goes right on to another little argument and nobody seems to be listening to Mary so why should the reader be listening to Mary um, it sounds like something that she has read from somewhere I don't believe that this is something that she has kind of come up with. This is her sort of regurgitating information, which I think mostly what Mary does. She doesn't really formulate her own thoughts on this information. She just kind of is able to pare it back, things that she's heard. So this idea that, like, oh, it's I'm convinced that it is very common indeed that human nature is particularly prone to it. Um, So pride is very common But I think that that distinction, vanity and pride, are different things. Though the words are often used synonymously. A person may be proud without being vain. Pride relates more to our opinion of ourselves. Vanity to what we would have others think of us. I think that's a very interesting distinction. Um, And it's one I don't think I would have thought of outside of this novel, really. But the idea that I think still sort of works like when you think about pride the first moment the first word that comes to mind or thing thought that comes to mind with pride is like the gay pride right like the gay pride movement that's the pride movement and so having pride in yourself being proud of yourself I think is a good thing I think that is for the most part seen as a positive trait and yet we also use proud as a bad thing because Mr. Darcy is proud meaning that he's a snob so thinking good Thinking well of yourself is a good thing, but thinking that you're better than everybody else is a bad thing. And so I think that that's an interesting part we hear with this pride versus vanity situation where pride is what you think of yourself, vanity what you want other people to think of you. Sort of gives this sort of a morality turn of like pride being acceptable of what what you are who you are versus vanity being trying to put on a show for other pe- for other people to like you and having those be different things I don't know but I really think that it's one of those things where Mary often says things that are really interesting and deep if you think about it but she says it in such a way that nobody listens to her and also in such a way that I don't think she's really listening to herself if that makes sense because she she is not thinking deeply about what she has just said i don't think so anyway she's sort of just parroting out this out this information but but it's interesting and i do think it's something that you kind of it's a moral you can kind of watch as you go along of who's proud who's vain and is that pride a good, healthy pride? Or is it an unhealthy pride? And I think we see instances of both, right? Where Darcy seems proud of himself. We haven't really met him much yet. We've just seen how he acts in society. But as we go along, we will see that he is proud in that he is um, proud of his heritage, proud of his line and his money and his worth. But he's also, and he also does he admits to thinking meanly of other people so he's also that proud of like looking down on others and part of it is that he has to learn that some of the people who looks down upon it's not okay and it's not acceptable for him to look down that way i don't know but i definitely think that that paragraph that mary says is worth thinking a little harder about and that comes to the very end of the chapter where a young Lucas, came, who came with his sisters, so one of their younger brothers, says that if I were as rich as Mr. Darcy, I should not care how proud I was. I would keep a pack of foxhounds and drink a bottle of wine every day.' "'Then you would drink a great deal more than you ought,' said Mrs. Bennet. "'And if I were to see you at it, I I should take away your bottle directly.' The boy protested that she should not. She continued to declare that she would, and the argument ended only with the visit.' So I think it's very interesting. We get from that sort of, we get that paragraph from Mary that actually, if you stop and read it, I think is actually a pretty deep comment. I'm not convinced that Mary understands what she's saying, but it is an interesting and deep concept. You could have a cool conversation about the difference between pride and vanity and whether pride is a good thing, whether vanity is a good thing, the morality of both pride and vanity in different, com- in different contexts. Because I do think that we see pride, you can see pride as a very positive thing, right? Being proud of yourself is a positive thing, as long as you're not using that proud to say that you are better than other people, which maybe is more the vanity. I don't know. But I think there's an interesting conversation to be had there. And I think we also see how Mary is not taken seriously by anyone around her, by the fact that she has this sort of big profound moment that goes just she kind of just goes out into the world it's not coming from anything she's not really she's not it's not put in in a way that makes sense in the conversation right i mean charlotte and lizzie are talking about the word pride but they're being more i don't know i want to use the word like conversational about it they're just you know laughing being you know joking with each other and then mary comes in with this sort of profound thud into the conversation that doesn't really fit. And then you get this idea that everyone just kind of sits silently for a minute. No one knows how to react to what Mary just said, right? Until this, the younger brother who I'm thinking of as like an eight year old or something, a little, a child comes in and, you know, has this non sequitur changes, this, changes the conversation completely and he and Mrs. Bennett go back and forth and blah, blah, blah. And that's how we end the conversation. And so this really gives us this view of Mary who she says some interesting things sometimes and I'll try to clock it as she says things like that later on. But but nobody listens to her and they're not really put in appropriately. That's part of the problem is that she says things that could be interesting but she doesn't add them at a time when that kind of deep conversation is appropriate. And also she doesn't do it at a time when people are like wanting to have that kind of conversation with her yeah just the social appropriateness is raw is off like but the actual thing she's trying to say the conversation she wants to have I think could be interesting so I think Mary gets short shrift sometimes I like Mary I think she's interesting I mean especially after the Lydia situation some of the stuff she says is really not helpful and you know not great but right now I think she's really entertaining I think she's interesting I think she gets short shrift within the novel and in most of the adaptations um don't sleep on Mary I think there's something in there she definitely could have something to say and that is the end of chapter five I've definitely talked way more than like me ch- chatting about this chapter is way longer than it would have taken to just read the chapter itself and honestly I think I have read most of the chapter to you but I really like it. So, oh well. Um, that's chapter five. We'll be coming back next time with chapter six, which is when Jane goes to Netherfield, which is going to be a very exciting, getting into some very interesting part of the book. Cannot wait. It should be a lot of fun. I will see you there. <laughs>